Okay, thank you. Wow, it's a great honor and a privilege to be here. In fact, um, when I came, I saw some old faces. And uh, it's none of the sisters here, but it's usually the brothers. Uh, we're a little bit bigger, a um, little less hair. Uh, but just to see some of us that I've known since, I guess, the 80s, and to be able to come back and to be able to come and share the Word of God, it really is an honor and a privilege. I really believe that God is going to be working in all of our hearts. How many of you believe that? Amen. And I can say this because uh, last night around 11 o'clock, I got into a pretty serious car accident. And so what happened was my second son, he had a soccer game at an indoor soccer field. And it was about 45 minutes up north uh, from Ann Arbor. And so I was driving him and also one of his teammates. And we went to the game and praise God, they won. And afterwards, we were driving back. And everyone was going fairly, well, slow, uh, because in Michigan, 75 is kind of like average. And that's the speed limit, around 70. I know in Chicago, it's about 55. But uh, people were driving around 55, 60 miles an hour. And it was snowing, and it wasn't really the slush kind of snow. It was a little bit of the flaky stuff. And as we were driving, I was on the left-hand lane, and I realized my exit was coming to get into another highway to go back home. And as we were driving, uh, and I was trying to cross over to the next lane, I think I hit an ice patch, and my car just spun around, and it hit the median, uh, the uh, concrete median, and uh, as we spun around, the airbags went off. And this car is an old car. It was uh, given to us uh, before we head out to Hong Kong. I'll share a little bit more about that in the days to come. And so it's, I think it's a 1999 Pathfinder. So can you imagine, for over 15 years, this airbag was just lodged in there. And all of a sudden, it came out. And I was just in shock. And I just wanted to make sure my, um, my son, Elliot, and also his friend, they were okay. And they were. And I, I kid you not, it was literally about 45 seconds after everything happened. And I was just making sure the kids were okay an ambulance came, an EMS. And as we were there, uh, the car wouldn't start, so uh, they brought us into the ambulance. And we just got some bruises, some nicks, and I felt like someone punched me in the mouth, and I realized it was the airbag with that 15-year-old uh, whatever they have that in that airbag. And my son got kind of like a black eye a little bit um, because the airbag came really strong and it hit him. And we were in the ambulance, and I was just talking with these guys, and I asked them, I go, like, where are you coming from? And they said, we were all the way in Lansing, which is like about 40 or 50-some miles out west. And I said, what brings you out to this area? Because it was near Detroit area. And he said, "Uh, we had to drop off a patient, and we were heading back, and we just saw everything that was happening. And so it was almost as if God was protecting us, And the EMS was right there. So they came literally within about 45 seconds after everything happened. They ended up calling 911 for us. It it happened so quickly. And I wasn't even thinking, uh, just making sure the kids were okay, that I didn't even call 911. They called 911 for us. And then another ambulance came. And the state trooper came. And they said, we'll take care of it. We'll tow the car to this one place. And they dropped us off at a McDonald's. And I called my wife. And my wife, whoa, my wife. You guys know what I'm talking about, brothers, right? A- amen. My wife just was like, what? And um, she ended up calling one of our uh, leaders, and they came together, picked us up. And the reason why I share this with you is because uh, I was a little bit shaken up, and I realized how fragile life is. And I remember just texting uh, Pastor Dave and Dr. Steve, and I just said, you know, hey, I, I just got into a car accident. The car is totaled. I uh, just need some prayer. And I found out that, uh, you know, there were some pastors and some of the people in the church that were also sick, and they were out. And I was out Monday and Tuesday. I was really sick. I wasn't even sure if I'm going to be able to stand. It was so bad. And as I was thinking about this, I realized that so much was going on in the spiritual realm. And I don't want to over-spiritualize it, you know, 
I could have maybe driven a little bit slower. I could have been on the right-hand lane for the exit. You know, there's a lot of stuff that my wife told me I could have done better. (laughs) So I understand that. We have a three-time rule. First time, yes. Second time, yes. Third time, after that, because it's turned into nagging. It's like that drip on the, you know, the Bible. Anyway, uh, so uh, I, I came to the realization uh, we really need a lot of prayer. So I started like uh, texting and just some of these group me's and different people that are in our church and just even globally. I just said, hey guys, uh, I'm going to be heading out to Chicago speaking at this revival meeting, this gathering, the refocus gathering. And I just need a lot of prayer. And I, uh, as I sent that out to a lot of these people, in the next, I would say, 12-some hours, uh, people were letting us know that they were praying for us. There's one person uh, emailed like 4-something in the morning, and they said, Pastor, uh, I don't know why I was awoken at 4-something. I just felt compelled to pray for you, pray for this gathering. And so one thing that I do know is that uh, in the next couple days, this gathering, when we gather together with God's people, it's going to be covered in prayer. Amen? And that's why I believe that God's going to do something. Because I know that Satan would not like it if some of our hearts that have been hardened by different things uh, might be softened. I know that some of our hearts maybe who are struggling with different issues who might be set free. I know that Satan would not like that. Maybe there are some of us here through the invitation of a friend who came who do not know Jesus Christ and you are, you are here and you might come to know Jesus for the very first time. I know Satan will not like that. So uh, I share that just so that we can cover each other in prayer. Uh, next morning, my whole neck was sore, but uh, I just knew that I needed to be here. And I believe that God has something for us. So I'm excited for all that he's going to be doing. So if you join me in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy upon our lives. Lord, our life is really uh, it's fragile. And so often we take things for granted and we're ever thankful. We are forever thankful that you love us and that you reached out to us, showed us your grace. Lord, as we gather together, I pray that you will do a mighty work here in each one of our hearts. Do not let a single person leave this place the same way we entered in. We want to encounter you. We thank you. We love you, Lord. And in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Luke chapter 5. We're going to be reading the first 11 verses. Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. You can just kind of open up your Bible. In in our church, we read the ESV, the English Standard Version. I know there's many different versions, but we read the ESV. But if you would just kind of stick your finger once you find it, or on your phone, just you could turn off the power so you can save some energy or battery life. But let me just first start off and say that we have become a generation that is so self-centered. In fact, I can prove this because of this thing in my hand. Now, to those of you who don't know what this is, it is very dangerous. This is called, come on now, a selfie stick. I'm just thinking about it. What a great name, right? It's a selfie stick. And with this contraption, you could literally take a picture anywhere with anyone at any time. Beautiful. Some of you are still amazed that it stretches this long. And, you know, the discovery, I mean, whoever discovered this, this incredible. Uh, Let me just first say this. We had to borrow this from somebody in this church. So, so listen. It's not a bad thing to hold on to it. Here, go, go ahead, sister. Touch that thing. Oh, uh-uh, okay. All right. It will not kill you. But I just wanted to make sure that we're not, like, looking down at people who have this. Some of you are slowly hiding things underneath your pew there. But, um, you know, in fact, it's a good thing. But I think we have taken this selfie stick to a whole different level. And so I wanted to show you some pictures up here to kind of give you this idea. Here's this guy, if you look at him. I mean, can you imagine what is he doing on his bed, crouching down? And I think he has the same one as yours or whoever. That's amazing. Uh, Let's look at this next one here. This guy decided he's going to take a selfie 
But he's going to take it with as many... Is that the Apple product? Oh, yeah. As Apple products as possible. So if you imagine, he's taking this and just look at him. He's all over. Here's another picture here. You'll notice. I don't know if you notice this, but her sister is delivering a baby. <laughs> this is not the time to take a selfie. But here she is. Here's another one. This guy. Um... Ladies, he's cleaning the toilet, all right? Um, he decides this is a great time to take a selfie. Incredible. Uh, this might be a little bit PG-13, rated R. Here's the next one. This is not the right time nor the place to take a selfie. Now, what I wanted to show you next is just a series of selfie sticks that people decided to make because they couldn't either buy one or locate one. So look, look, look at some of these. This guy is using a golf club. <laughs> and he, he, he makes his own selfie stick. Here's another one. They decided, we're just going to use a broom. Put some tape on it. It should work. Uh, here's another one. Uh, so you can look at it. They decided to use the child's little toy. Can you imagine the kid crying? But this is how they're taking a selfie. This one is kind of interesting. Uh, you see some of these tough guys. You look at those tattoos, Yakuza, all these guys. And they're taking this uh, selfie. But look what really what they're doing. It's a dustpan. <laughs> Crazy stuff. You know, <laughs> this guy looks so tough. So once again, I, I just want to make sure that we understand. Just because you have one of these, it doesn't mean you're self-centered. Because I really b- believe that it really does help. Because the next picture, hopefully we have it there. Uh, this was our China missions team just recently, and we took it with one of these. And uh, That's in Shanghai, and we had a great time as we were able to serve some of the orphans in that area. Uh, for those of us who use the selfie stick for practical purposes, praise God, turn to somebody next to you and say, it's okay. All right? It's okay. I think for many of us, our self-centeredness might not be displayed through a selfie stick, but it actually comes in different forms. Maybe it's in our relationship with our spouse or with our children. Maybe it's in the way we use our time and our resources that God has given unto us that shows a lot of our self-centeredness. Maybe it's the way we treat our coworkers and our neighbors that shows self-centeredness in our lives. Or maybe it's the attitude that we display when unexpected situations come into our lives i think too often we find ourselves in bad situations where we put our own self-interest above others and i think many of our relational conflicts come forth because of our self-centeredness many of our personal issues it always springs out of our self-centeredness I like what Archbishop William Temple said. He said this, The center of trouble is not the turbulent appetites, though they are troublesome enough. The center of trouble is in the personality of man as a whole, which is self-centered and can only be wholesome and healthy if it is God-centered. We are only whole when we are God-centered. And the more self-centered we are in our relationships with people, And in our lives and where we are right now, that's what brings the dysfunction. Today we're going to look at a familiar story in the Bible and to address this issue. And it's it's my hope and prayer sincerely that we will be able to look at the story with fresh eyes and help us to refocus on why we're gathering here tonight and for the next couple days. So I want us to remember this one thing. The one thing is simply this. There must be less of us. And more of Jesus. It has to be less of us. And more of Jesus. I want to talk about two things in this passage. That we have to remember about having less of us and more of Jesus. The first thing is simply this. That we have to be challenged by Jesus. I hope all of us understand that we will be challenged by Jesus. Sometime in our lives. So if you would with me in looking at the passage I'm going to start reading from verse 1 to 3. This is what the Word of God says. 
In Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 3, it says this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone off of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Let's just pause here and look at this, the first three verses here. As some of you know, Lake of Gennesaret is also known as the Sea of Galilee. And there are so many people crowding around Jesus to listen to the word of God. And as we look into these three verses, we will notice that there are two things that Jesus does as he encounters Simon Peter. The first thing that you will notice is that Jesus acts purposely, purposefully. Look at verse 2 and 3 again. In these two verses, you will notice there are two phrases that are very important. The first phrase you will notice is in verse 2 where it says, he saw. So here's Jesus and he sees Simon Peter. The second phrase I want you to note comes from verse 3 and it says, getting into one of the boats. So try to picture this as best as you can. This is a story that many of you are familiar with. But here's Jesus. As he sees Simon Peter, and then he gets into his boat. Now, it's amazing that out of all the boats that they were at that shore at that time, Jesus decides to choose Simon Peter's boat. It was as if Jesus had a specific plan and a purpose. Not only did he see Simon Peter's boat, but we notice here he decided to get into that boat. Now, why is this important? Just pause for a second and think about this. We will notice later on in the story that Jesus wanted to call Peter to be his disciple. And Jesus decided that it was going to be today, at this very moment, and it was going to be at this very place, which is the boat. A place that is very familiar to Peter. You know, I really appreciated what Pastor Reggie was saying that, you know, I did see him lead a lot of praises uh, for different gatherings. And I realized that in many ways, we don't want necessarily this to be like one of these emotional things and this revival meeting. We got to look at somebody next to you. I said, I know how you were. Go ahead. Just turn to somebody next to you. Go ahead. Tell, tell them. I, I, I remember you. You know how those meeting goes? We're like, <coughs> and you don't even know why you're yelling. And I don't know what, what on God's earth God is going to pray for that long. And we're just repeating the same thing over and over again. But let me just say this. Listen, I'm not trying to belittle any of those experiences that you have, but listen to me carefully. Sometimes God brings us to familiar places. Because he has a purpose and a plan. Even some of the songs, I remember singing those songs many years ago. And it does something. And so here's Jesus in a very familiar place for Peter. That he saw him and he decided to get into his boat. How about us? Do we know that God does things purposely or purposefully in your life? Do you see that God is sovereignly working things out in your life? You might not fully understand it now or see it now, but he's doing something. I was thinking about that because I, I can't believe I've known Pastor Dave for over 30 some years. Even Dr. Steve. Uh, they're some of my closest friends. And thank God, every time I look at them, I'm like, it's God's grace. I, I, I appreciate God's grace that much more. And I realize it really is God's grace that we are where we are today. And I say this because I realize that God sovereignly and purposefully placed different people and different experiences in my life to bring me to where I am today. I don't know where I would have been. I really don't. But I'm thankful that there were brothers and people around me who spoke truth into my life. I'm, I'm thankful that during some of the lowest moments of my life, they were there to walk with me. 
Some of you might not have that kind of friendship, and it's okay, but I want to challenge us to think that whatever you're going through right now at this very moment, whatever it is that you're facing, I'm wondering if God is purposefully acting and doing something to get your attention. You know, Jesus not only acts purposefully, but I want you to notice here in verse 4, we will see that Jesus asks poignantly. He's asking a question to Simon Peter. Look at verse 4. Will you, we're going to read verse 4 here. Listen to what he says. And when he had finished speaking, this is Jesus now, when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Amazing. We don't know what Jesus spoke on or what his teaching was on. But nevertheless, Jesus, after finishing his talk, turns to Simon Peter and challenges him with something that did not make sense. Jesus asked Peter to row the boat into deep and put down their nets. Now, it's important to note that earlier in verse 2, as we have read, Jesus purposely comes to the fishermen as they were washing their nets. Now, those of you who understand what's going on here, you realize this is very significant. Because in verse 2, it says, Jesus came, saw Peter, and got into his boat as they were finishing their washing of the nets. And it was at this time Jesus says, go further. And cast your nets. You know, we have to remember that once you pack up everything, it's very inconvenient to unpack it again. Are you with me? There are times when I know some of these pastors as well. We travel so much. After all, I don't want to even unpack. Because I know next week I'm going to be gone. So I just want to leave my old underwear, my socks, and just, just leave it there. And uh, we'll just take it and then we'll wash it wherever. I mean, there are times when you don't want to unpack because you're going to have to what? Pack it up again. And when you pack it up, you're going to have to unpack it. And so Simon Peter and the other disciples were probably thinking, uh, why are we doing this again at this time? Now, there are many times what seems like an inconvenience is when God speaks to us and wants something from our lives. Can I get a good amen? Uh, I don't know how many of you heard, but... um, Back in 2009 and 2010, for one year, my family and I, we actually packed up everything and we moved to Indonesia to start our first international church in Jakarta. And uh, I remember just sharing with some of my friends and sharing with some older mentors and disciples, and they said, no, this is crazy. And they really wanted me to pray through this a little bit more and fast through it a little bit more because it just didn't make sense. In fact, this is just more of an honest confession because as I was really thinking about it, if you look at it from a human perspective, man, our church was growing at this time. We've already planted a church on Northwestern and we were planning a church in Austin, uh, Texas, and just many people were coming to Christ in our church in Ann Arbor and we were just excited about all that God was doing and we're just thinking, and people were saying, is this the right time? For you to go now as the lead pastor and leave this church and plant a church in Indonesia. Also, by God's grace, we're able to purchase a building right on campus. Literally, it's about two blocks away from the center of the whole campus of the University of Michigan. And as you know, with any endeavor of trying to purchase a building, you need leadership to guide people so that they could continue in their faithful giving so that we could pay the mortgage and all this stuff. And they're saying, we just bought this building and now you're thinking about going the next year. They said, this this will not make sense. And I remember hearing from so many people telling me that it's not, it's not the wisest thing. And please, don't misunderstand me. I think getting mentor uh, opinions and advice from mentors and disciples is very important. But how many of you know you got to hear from the voice of God? Amen? Too often we're so consumed with trying to listen to other people's voices and get affirmation from them that oftentimes we neglect to hear the voice of God. And God kept on pressing upon my heart. And it did not make sense because at this very moment, this is the wrong time to pack up everything and leave. My kids were at a stage of their lives where you don't want to uproot them for one year and then bring them back. It was very inconvenient. 
In fact, if people saw that, they go, you're very stupid. That's very foolish. But now it's been about five years and coming back and then also sending one of our associate pastors there as the missionary and the pastor, seeing all the lives that were transformed. Seeing people coming to know Jesus Christ. The baptism we're able to see and celebrate together. The new leaders that they have raised up who are Indonesians, not Americans or Asian Americans who came from this faraway place called America, but national leaders who are raised up who are now leading that church. All I can say is I'm so thankful that God inconvenienced our family. You know, for so many of us as we get older, this is the temptation. Listen to me carefully. And I share this personally from my own struggle. Is that as we get older, I don't know what it is, but there's something inside of us that just wants to get comfortable. And we just don't want to be inconvenienced. We just don't. Remember when you were in college, it's just like four in the morning. Yeah, we'll just do whatever. You know, you go to these retreats where there's, 10 people in a room. Yeah, this is awesome. Oh, your B.O. smells delightful. This is great. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Your inconvenience. You only get three hours of sleep. But now it's harder. And I'm not saying you've got to live like that. But there are times when God will, will challenge us inconvenience us because he wants to do something powerful in your life. How about us? When was the last time Jesus challenged you with something which required obedience? Because God is challenging. He's constantly challenging us because he wants to remind us it's not about us, but it's all about him. Always. It's not about you being right and winning that argument with your spouse, but it's all about him. It's not about trying to tell your kids what to do, but maybe being able to love that child the way Christ loves them. Let's continue in verse 5 as we move into the story. It gets, it gets kind of interesting. Look at verse 5. It says, And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. At first, it seems like Peter objects to Jesus' request. But would you blame him? My goodness, Jesus, we just flushed all the nets. We picked it all up. And now you're telling us to... Mm, mm. Mm -mm. but because you say so as you know Peter was an experienced fisherman and he knew that they would not catch anything at this time of the night you know it's amazing how often God tells us to do things that doesn't make sense (laughs) can we just pause here and think about this for a second why do you think God sometimes tells us to do things that never make sense because if something good happens, we know that it wasn't us. Amen. Oh, yeah, we're so smart. I knew that. I knew that ice patch was there. I, I, I knew it. I just wanted to kind of give the kids a ride. Are you, are you crazy? I realized that when anything good happens, it's because of Jesus. And so often, he tells us to do things that doesn't make sense. You know why? Because it's all about him. That he will receive all the glory. He will receive all the honor. Not only does this not make sense, but Peter was reminded that he and his friends what caught nothing. You know, as a fisherman, you're supposed to catch something. Amen. <laughs> you're supposed to catch some fish. Like, I'm an evangelist. No one came to know Jesus. I mean, this is a problem. I'm a doctor and everyone's dying on me. You know, there's a problem here. He's a fisherman. They caught nothing. And I was thinking about this and I realized that oftentimes it is in these moments of failure and disappointments when Jesus appears. Amen. 
I don't know where some of you are right now, but some of you might be at the crossroad of some kind of failure or disappointment. And I want to say to you that you are right in the middle of where God wants to work in your life. I don't know how it is or how it all works out, but for whatever reason, it is always in the midst of some kind of failure or disappointment where Jesus shows up and he wants to do something. We realize that God's plans and his ways are so different from ours. That's why in Isaiah chapter 55 verse 9, it says, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I like the message translation. Listen to what it says. I don't think the way you think. The way you work isn't the way I work. This is God's decree. For as the sky soars high above earth, so the way I work surpasses the way you work. And the way I think is beyond the way you think. Amazing. Sometimes we feel like we figured it all. We have degrees. We have all these letters after our names or before our names. And we think we got it all figured out. And God says, you don't even know what I'm doing. In verse 5, we see the remarkable response of Peter. Peter says, but at your word. I like the other translations in the NIV. It translates it as, but because you say so. The New King James Version says, nevertheless. Even though it doesn't make sense, nevertheless, I'm going to do it. It doesn't make sense. You're challenging me as a fisherman, but because you say so. At your word, I will obey. The question is this, why did Peter, after fishing all night and catching nothing, listen to me carefully, why after Peter fishing all night and catching nothing, why did he cast his nets again? It's not like this Jesus came in and says, whoo, look at me. I mean, think about this. And probably the only insight that we can get is if you look a little bit earlier, will you turn with me to Luke chapter 4, verse 38. Luke chapter 4, verse 38. And we will get a little bit of this insight of why possibly Peter decided to let down the nets, even though he fished all night and caught nothing. Listen to what it says in starting from verse 38. And he rose and left the synagogue. This is um, Peter. He he rose, excuse me, this is, um, where am I? Okay, yeah, this, it's, and so he rose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they appealed to him on her behalf. So Jesus, after preaching in the synagogue, he comes into Simon's house. Simon's mother-in-law, some people don't like their mother-in-law. They're like, she's sick? Oh, Lord, please. And uh, here... We see Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever and they pleaded to Jesus on her behalf. And listen, and he stood over her and rebuked the fever and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now, why is this important? Why is this significant? Because Jesus went into Peter's home and healed his mother-in-law who was suffering from this fever. We don't know if Peter was in that room At least we know that he probably heard about this healing. Oh, your mother-in-law is better now? Praise God. (laughs) However it happened, listen to me carefully. All we know is that she got better. Maybe there was something deep inside Peter where he wanted to believe that this Jesus was powerful and that he can do the extraordinary. Because he has seen it before with his mother-in-law. And so even though he was an expert fisherman, experienced fisherman, and he fished all night and caught nothing, but because Jesus, you say so, nevertheless, at your word, I will cast down my nets. I want to challenge us this evening as we start off this whole refocus Gathering. When Jesus challenges us, how do we respond?
Do you see God's sovereign purpose being played out in your life? I'm wondering if you're willing to trust in Jesus even though things are not making sense right now. That's why even tonight he's challenging us because he wants to remind us it's not about us, but it's all about him. The second point as I close out is simply this. We not only have to be changed or challenged by Jesus, but we have to be changed by Jesus. You know, what happens when Simon Peter obeys and lets down the net? You know the story. We notice a couple things that begin to happen. The first thing is that Peter experiences Jesus' power. Will you read with me in verse 6 and 7? So go back to Luke chapter 5 and look at verse 6 through 7. Listen to what it says. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats. So they began to sink. Amazing. As Peter obeyed, we see that they caught a large number of fish that their nets began to break. In fact, there was so much fish that they had to call the other friends from the other boats to come and help them. You know, isn't it interesting that oftentimes we only experience God's power when we take the step of faith. Are you with me? Amen. Only when we obey Only when we realize that it's not about us and it's all about him. It's about his kingdom. It's about his glory. It is in that moment when we obey and step out in faith, we see God doing some incredible things. What was Peter's response? Look at verse 8 and you'll see his response. Listen to what he says. In verse 8, he simply says, But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. What a response as he encounters Jesus' power. Peter got a glimpse of the holiness of God. Listen to the message translation. Simon Peter, when he saw it, fell to his knees before, his, before Jesus. Master, leave. I'm a sinner and can't handle this holiness. Leave me to myself. Did you catch that? I'm a sinner and I can't handle this holiness. When Peter responded with the go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. It was a confession of a person who just encountered the divine. Peter was aware of his unworthiness. As many of you know, in other portions of scripture, you realize that when people encounter the holiness of God, this is the natural response. This is what happened to other people in the presence of God. You know, the prophet Isaiah And in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5, Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among the people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. I love what John Calvin said. He said this, Man is never sufficiently touched and affected by the awareness of his lowly state until he has compared himself with God's majesty. The problem with so many of us is we compare ourselves with other people. That's why we don't think we're that bad. We're constantly comparing ourselves with our co-workers. Oh, my God. Look at... mm, mm. Lord have mercy. At least I go to church. And then you come to church and you look at all these people. Oh, I'm lifting up my hands. Why aren't they worshiping Jesus the way I'm worshiping him? And you look at your spouse and you're thinking, why are you like that? That's the problem with so many of us in our own sinfulness is that we compare ourselves with one another. And either some of us feel really good about ourselves or some of us, we feel really bad about ourselves. And both are, uh, it's, it's the issue of pride. And what Jesus reminds them is that when you encounter the power of God, you realize that you are actually looking at the majesty of God. So your natural response is, woe is me. When we see Jesus more clearly, then we are able to see ourselves more clearly. The beauty and perfection of Jesus exposes our weaknesses and our flaws. The greatness and majesty of Jesus helps us to see our own frailty. 
Man, I, I just as a confession, I see so much of my sinfulness when it comes to my kids and their soccer. All three play soccer. I have an oldest son, Josiah, is going to be going off to college this coming year. I have a, a, another son, Elliot, who is a freshman in high school. And then our little princess, uh, she's in sixth grade. She rules our house. Or like my wife would like to say, she rules me. But anyway, and by the way, she's the one who's doing the best. She's dominating over all these other girls. I think she always has something to prove against her brothers. But I see so much of my own sinfulness. You know, when you, I don't know how many of your parents, how many of you have kids or some of you are past that stage or some of you want to be in that stage, wherever you are. It's really interesting because you go to these games. It doesn't, it's not even soccer. It could be anything else. Ballet, whatever it is, you just, you want your kids to excel. And it's kind of interesting because you go to these games and the parents are all sitting around together. And you don't want to yell at that other kid because the parent is standing right next to you. So, good job. Try harder. But I remember one time when we're all kind of on the sideline, we're talking together. And they said, hey, Seth, uh, because sometimes I dress up like a hoodlum. You know, I got my hat on. I got my, you know, all that stuff. And they go, hey, Seth, uh, did you play soccer? I'm like, yeah. Varsity. Nutria High School. <laughs> Two years. <laughs> they're like, Nutria what? They, they don't even know. They're in Michigan. But if it's sitting here, they're like, oh. But anyway, yeah, I played varsity two years. And, you know, oh, what position? You know, left halfback or left midfielder or left wing. And, yeah, we did really well. We went to regionals, you know, my junior year. And, you know, so, like, I don't know. I just my chest gets bigger. And I'm like, yeah. This, this, yeah. And then all of a sudden, halftime is over. We're ready to play the second half. And here are my kids. They're playing. And I don't know what it is, but something like transforms inside of me. Because after now, they know that I played varsity soccer for two years. (laughs) And if my kid is not doing well, it's like the most embarrassing thing (laughs) in the whole wide world. So here I am. And I was thinking to myself, you know, if I, they didn't know I play soccer. They didn't know I did all this and this. I would have been like, come on, let's go, let's go, yay. But because they know, come on, let's go. Score that goal. And there are times when my wife is there. She goes, she just, the longer you've been married, the less words you have to use. (laughs) See, there's a direct correlation. Don't ever forget that. The longer you've been married, the less words. And she just turned this way and she just looked at me. And it was like, what the heck are you doing? These are your kids. I mean, she didn't say it, but just with her eyes, you know, this is how powerful it is. Just her eyes, bam. <laughs> what are you doing? What do you think you're doing? These are our kids. You're making a fool of yourself. Pray to God they don't know you're a pastor, you know? I mean, just, <laughs> just from that look, you can just tell. And I remember just going home and, I'm just thinking to myself, what what just happened? And that's when I realized so much of my own sinfulness. Because of what just just transpired, I felt like I had to prove something. Not that I could go on the field myself. Sometimes I do want to. (laughs) But somehow I wanted to live the dream through my kids. And I don't know if some of you have ever grown up in that environment or some of you are parents who are creating that environment in your home. All I can say to you is that it kills the spirit of your kids. And I just had to repent because I saw so much of my own wickedness that came out of my own pride. And I was just thinking to myself, like, what if they don't succeed? What if they don't do well? Can I still love them and treat them the same way? 
And the scary part is we repeat the same cycle that what we went through with our parents. I like what B.D. Griffith said in his book, The Golden String. Listen to what he writes. I suddenly, I suddenly saw that all the time it was not I who had been seeking God, but God who had been seeking me. I had made myself the center of my own existence and had my back turned to God. All the beauty and truth which I had discovered had come to me as a reflection of his beauty. And I had kept my eyes fixed on the reflection and was always looking at myself. But God had brought me to the point at which I was compelled to turn away from the reflection, both of myself and of the world which could only mirror my own image. During that night, the mirror had been broken and I had felt abandoned because I could no longer gaze upon the image of my own reason and the finite world which it knew. God had brought me to my knees and made me acknowledge my own nothingness. And out of that knowledge, I have been reborn. I was no longer the center of my life and therefore I can see God in everything. We get so consumed with ourselves, with our lives, our future. And all we see is our own reflection. What God wants us to see is to see him. His beauty, his majesty. And so here's Peter in this boat as an expert fisherman. And God, because Jesus was in that boat. And because Peter obeyed at his word. We saw a miracle happen, and he realized, I'm an unworthy person. Peter not only experienced Jesus' power quickly here, Peter encounters Jesus' promise. Look at verse 9 through 11 as we close out with these three verses. Verse 9 through 11. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will, catch, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. You will notice in verse 9 that the response of Peter and his fishing co-workers, it says they were astonished. Other translation of that word, if you study that word, it means amazed or awestruck or the sense of being overwhelmed. Things are more amazing or overwhelming when they defy what we normally know to be true. They encountered God in such a powerful way. It was when something happens that's out of the ordinary and the unexpected. And listen, in verse 10, as we have just read, we see the phrase, don't be afraid. It is translated in other translations as fear not or don't fear, do not fear. I want you to note this. This is important. All throughout scripture, we notice that when this phrase is given by God, don't fear or fear not or don't be afraid, there's always a promise that follows. For Peter, Jesus gives him this new destiny and future. Peter, you will no longer catch fish, but you will be catching men. What is the natural response after encountering this Jesus? Look at verse 11 again. It says, they left everything. And followed him. I love the New King James Version of that. It says they forsook all and followed him. This is the call. This was the call that Jesus gave to others who desired to follow him. Luke chapter 9 verse 23 to 24 says, If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will save it. How about us this evening as we come to a close here? Have we encountered Jesus in such a way that we're willing to leave everything and follow him? We have to be changed by Jesus as he challenges us to make it more about him and less of us. That's why the one thing once again is there must be less of us and more of Jesus. Can I just make it a little bit more practical for us as we leave tonight? couple things to think through. First of all, start with worship. Some life application for us to think about in this passage is start with worship. Because worship gets our eyes away from ourselves and fixes our eyes on this Jesus who's majestic, who loves us, 
who bore our sins on the cross, who set us free, that even in our weaknesses and our self-centeredness and in our sinfulness, that that is the reason why he had to die on the cross for your sins and my sins. Start with worship. And even as we are worshiping together as a congregation, as the body of Christ, we're going to be able to encounter him in a powerful way. Secondly, is see what God is doing. God is sovereignly working. He's purposely acting and doing things in your life. You might not understand at this moment, but see what he's doing. Who are the people that he's bringing your way? What are some of the circumstances? What are some of the closed doors? What are some open doors that he's opening for us? See what God is doing. And when you see it, you realize, God, is this really you? And it will challenge us to then thirdly, to step out in obedience. As we step out in obedience, because it's all about Jesus, not about us. Then it's going to be more of him and less of us. Amen. I want to close and I don't know how many of you have seen uh, this video before. But it really spoke to me because I realized that this really is, in essence, the gospel. And the more I thought about it, I realized too often I find myself being selfish and disobedient to the things that God has called me to do. And after a while, I think to myself, God, will I ever change? Can I ever change? But every time I think like this, Jesus is constantly reminding me that he's the one who will do it. Amen. And he has already done it because he died on the cross for us. And all we have to do is respond in gratitude and obedience. Just like Peter. But because you say so. But at your word. Nevertheless. So I want us to see this video. And afterwards I'll come back up. And just quickly just lead a quick prayer for us. Then I'm going to have Pastor Dave and Dr. Steve. And some of the other pastors. We're going to spend some time in prayer. Let's not leave here tonight the same way we walked in. Let's remember the cross and what Jesus did for us. Let's watch this together.